Welcome to What's Your Beef, a Beef Australia production. Each week we will introduce you to people living and working in the beef community and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic triennial event. Hello, welcome to What's Your Beef. I'm Jane Cudahy. Having notched up a multitude of trophies over their long association with the Beef Australia event, they have a deep affection for not only the event itself, but the kinship it represents. Roger and his late wife, Lorena, built the Elro Stud into one of the most recognisable names in Brahmin cattle. It's the biggest Brahmin stud in Australia, having been built up from their Cloncurry base and more recently, central Queensland. I caught up with Roger over a coffee in his Brigalow office, adorned with a plethora of pictures of their standout sires and lifetime achievement awards and breed trophies. What I would really love to ask you about first, Roger, is about growing up around Cloncurry. What do you remember about that time and, and being involved in the beef industry from such a young age? Oh, well, look, I suppose you think back to, to uh, walking your bullocks to the rail siding <laughs> and uh, be on a, on a little pony and walk them, you know, 30k to the rail siding and that was how things were done those days, going to the meatworks and seeing your, seeing your bullocks killed. Um, and, and, of course, getting on the old train to go to school. And they were great days. They're and so that was, that was at Cloncurry? Or, at Elrose, or, yeah. Yeah, at Elrose. Yeah. Where did you go to school? I did uh, school, oh, well, correspondence, because I, missed, I was ahead of school of the air. And in grade four... I got sent to boarding school. I think I must have, mustn't have agreed with governesses or something, but anyway, they shunted me down to Townsville to boarding school. Yeah. And you'd catch the train, you said. Yeah, mm-hmm. catch the train, get on the train at the old rail siding and go down. That's such a long trip when you're in grade yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, imagine putting kids on now. But anyway, we just got thrown on, get to school. Yeah, and was there a group of you? There were a few of you out there that would go at once? Oh, a couple in that direction. Well, that's good. Your father, Owen, I think, was bought the first Brahmins to Elrose. What do you remember? Do you remember them coming off the truck? What do you remember? No, well, I don't know that I can clearly remember them coming off the truck, but I I do remember them, and I remember the flack he got from other people in the district. About About what? What were they? About the Brahmins, you know, bringing them into the district and... And our neighbour on one side now, whose whose son has a pure white Brahmin herd, threatened to shoot them if they if any bulls got over the fence. <laughs> Bet you wouldn't say that to you now. <laughs> no, no. So uh, yeah, they were early days, but but everyone, thankfully, they've performed and. Everyone's seen the benefits of them now. Well, I was about to, to ask, so why why was it so important to stick with it? What did your dad see in the breed that he was so committed to, to building? Well, I suppose I suppose he saw, we weren't in ticky country. I suppose that drove Brahmins originally on the coast in the tick. Was the, the, the old British breeds were just dying of ticks every year and, and uh, constantly dipping. We weren't in ticky country, so that wasn't what my father saw, but... Uh, he, he just saw the benefits of them and decided uh, he wanted to give them a crack. What was the transition like? You wouldn't have gone straight into all Brahmin, so you were crossing them with Shorthorn, is Short that right? Horns, and, yeah. and then how did you really cement the breed into your operation? Well, it just, you know, you're talking uh, a long, long time ago, from the sort of start of the mid-50s, so just kept no other bulls but Brahmin bulls and eventually you bred up to a... 
a purebred Brahmin herd, like everyone did. So what made you want to come home? You, you've gone to boarding school in Townsville um, and then came home to Elrose. So what about that lifestyle and that career r- really attracted you? I don't think I had ever, you know, a bush kid, I don't think you ever had any other thoughts. I don't think I was smart enough to go to uni anyway, but well, I didn't want to and uh, I didn't know much about being a plumber or a, or a diesel feeder or anything, so I just wanted to go home. And was it just you? Did you have siblings that were... Yeah, seven you know, of us. Yeah, well, I thought Se- there were a few. I wasn't seven sure of, of us. the number. Yeah, yeah I, was the, I was the oldest of seven. We all, uh, we lost our mother when I was 15 and the rest, the youngest was 18 months. So we sort of were a little bit like lost chooks. We all went to all parts of the wo- Australia and the world and, and today we we see much more of each other sort of thing. But I just went home and and, uh, and you just did what you had to do, went... went mustering and contract mustering to get to get a few bob and and uh they were they were just great days you know i don't uh, get excited now when cattle are running amok i get far from it but in those days you know you love going up in the hills and chasing mad cattle and <laughs> all the rest of <laughs> you had throwing bulls and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's youth, isn't it? I think there's still an element of that that everyone goes to the territory now. Well, you know, not yeah, so much young Western ones still Queensland. want to get that yeah. out of their system. Yeah, they still want to go and do that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Now we we can't tell your story, of course, without mentioning Lorena. And you you would have met Lorena when you were quite young, and and she's been such an integral part of, of building your business. So, can you tell us a little bit about meeting her and and those first few years of of, of being in the business together? We met through horse events, really, back in back in those days. Jim Carners and and uh, the odd camp draft and rodeo, and 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 we had uh, exactly the same interests, and that that was it. I, I've uh, never forgotten uh, going over to court, Lorena, and her father was a very hard old man, and and uh, if you needed to drink a water, you were a, you were, you were pretty weak, and. Uh, <laughs> And on those open plains, just having to ride all day where you couldn't find a tree to get under or anything. But uh, I'm sure he saved all the work till I went to visit. Yes, of but, course. Yeah, so we... And, and her her interest in horses and, and cattle was exactly the same. She obviously fell in love with the Brahmins as well and you really set about building the stud. What goal did you have in mind when you first started really thinking about traits and, and building up the, the genetics of your herd? In, in the early days, there was no measurement and uh, you just uh, visually looked at them and bought a, what you thought was, was the type of animal you wanted. So that was all that we did in those days and, and uh, we just kept, kept going on from there. No one back then could visualise what was go- were going to happen today with, with big sales and... and uh, you know, thousands of bulls being sold every year. So uh, just started off as as a gut feeling on what you liked. And we'll go back into the, the data collection and the potential around that soon. But, you know, at some point, Brahmins became the breed for Northern Australia, you know, that they were, that they were proven worthy and, and went widespread. So what was that like when there was an increase of competition and people really started to look around for better bloodlines and, and you know, bring them into these other European herds? Of course, uh, we got a, new shipments came in 
uh, what in the late 80s or early, I'm not sure when it was, but, you know, as cattle started, there was a, a bunch of cattle came in from Hudgens and, and gave and some Indo-Brazilian cattle. Since then, you know, the Brahmin breed itself has been involved in in the CRC project and done a lot of world-leading research and we've learned a lot about Brahmin cattle and all cattle, but, but it was all based on Brahmin cattle. And uh, we learned a lot out of it and, and the Brahmin breeders kept uh, going after that with, with what they call bin projects, still recording data. And of course today now uh, the Brahmin breed from collecting all that data can produce a genomics by just uh, just a piece of DNA and uh, there's other breeds heading that way but there's only the Angus and the Brahmins that have it at the moment, you know. You sold off nearly close to a thousand cows or cattle a few years ago when you moved to central Queensland but you're still the biggest Brahmin stud in Australia. So at what point did did that really scale up and you really started to um, concentrate on data and genetics and those breeding qualities? Uh, we started taking uh, data back in the 90s, but that in those days was only a weight. I was going to say, what, what data? What were yeah, you that collecting? Was, that was only a weight back then. And was then. that like weaning weight or at like a, what, what, when were you collecting weight? Yeah, weaning and sometimes you didn't even get to 600 days, just weaning and 400 day. But it gradually scaled up and, and we started to add in, uh, you know, scrotals and, and uh, fertility data. And was that driven by you or was this an industry, was it starting to, you know, seep in at an industry level where your, where your clients were wanting that kind of information? No, our clients weren't wanting it in those days. I just saw a need for it. I, I just wanted to, wanted to do that. But nowadays, of course, our clients are uh, very, very analytical and, and, and very switched on to it and, and know, what know what they're doing, giving them, them some sort of security into the future with what they're, what they're purchasing. You mentioned before, you know, some of those European breeds, mainly Angus, have, have been collecting data on a broad scale for a long time and now have these amazing databases that clients and, and breeders can access. Why has the Brahmin breed been a bit slower on that uptake considering there's such a, a huge herd in Australia? The Brahma breed is still a very successful breed because its points are for the north is that they uh, have got longevity, they're low maintenance cattle, they uh, can handle the heat and, and the travelling that nowadays we're talking, we haven't got a horse poking along, we've got a chopper behind them or something and they might... So... Those those points of the Brahma breed are, are uh, and of course the live export industry has developed and purely on Brahmins, so that has driven the demand for Brahmins all over the north of Australia. Then, if you add in the performance testing, it, it's just uh, just adding a little bit of ice to the cake, really. Yeah. You know, you started really heavily investing in genetics and, and have a couple of world records, I think, over the years yeah. for, for, for um, money spent. So when you're talking about size like Justified, I can't remember how many years ago, but not that long ago, what, what does that do to your, to your stud? What does it do to, for your business? And, and, you know, is he worth the 325 grand? Uh, look, what you've got to do in the, in this industry or in what we're doing in our industry is just back your judgment. 
and have a clear vision. And if you see the animal that you think is going to help you, try to buy it. And uh, that's all we saw in him. We saw a, a type of animal. He didn't. He didn't have uh, much data on him. But which, <laughs> For a data which, man, that's amazing, Roger. <laughs> I know. I know. But anyway, uh, that's all we've ever done. Uh, and we did it together because uh, Lorena was an incredible judgment. Uh, she had. A, she was uncanny. She could sort of uh, pick them out, and uh, we just just went ahead and and bought them, and so and I ate, ate baked beans after that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. Um, how are your nerves in those kind of situations? Because that's big money. There's a lot riding on that, and when you say that you didn't have much data, and that's the sole focus of your business. Yeah. What's, what what is it like sitting there? Oh putting your well, yes, it's it's nervous. I probably handle it. Better than Lorena used to. <laughs> she became, everyone became quite, uh, you know, entertained by looking across at, at, at Lorena's antics when we were we were buying a, a a bull bidding on a bull. But yeah, look, it's it's just it's stressful for everyone. You just but you do need to stay calm and and uh, carry on. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you spent a long time. You have, have had a long association with the Australian Brahmin Breeders Association as president and part of their technical committee, and saw in uh, programs such as Breed Plan. So, what was it like getting those kind of concepts off the ground in an industry where data collection isn't isn't mainstream yet? Yeah. Well, it's it's still not collected in 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 a lot of places. But oh, look, it just grew. People found out about it and and uh, some hooked onto it and some didn't. So really, it just grew slowly, but it just grew in its own way. So what about you? In 2013, uh, you were quoted as saying that the MSA grading system was unfair to Brahmins. Do you still agree with that? Or have things progressed with with people collecting more data and being more aware of, of the meat quality that they are producing? Yeah, look, Jane... I, they would, you know, the MSA people would say that they have proven it and uh, Brahmins are tougher. Of course I disagree because I believe there's more to it than that. We we do have cold shortening and and when they, uh, if they would hang a Brahmin by the, by the uh, hips instead of the hocks, it would all disappear because the main of the cold shortening is, is down the back. We won beef... We've had the Stone Grill restaurant. We fed 5,000 steaks in four days and all those bullocks were donated by Brahmin breeders. Well, not really donated, but they... they and we fed them supplied. for 100 days. They were supplied. <laughs> and then they were all put through MSA and the highest grading MSA bullocks were all the ones with the biggest humps. So that threw it all out the window and that all that data is very clear and still there because... And why was because they... The discount for the hump height was far overshadowed by they were the better doers, they had bigger eye muscles, they, they were fatter. There was all sorts of other things that cancelled by a long way the hump height. So I think the only way they could pick a Brahmin was, was pick him out by his hump. So, yeah, I, I disagree. I, I, uh, I believe that, yes, um, an animal that is reared in the north of Australia that's had to be born in 40-degree heat and walk 5K with mum every day, and you're going to be a bit leaner and a bit tougher than the 
then it's a bit like whether a kid rides his bike to school or, or walks to school or the one that gets dropped off, you know. He's going to be sort of fitter and, and, and leaner. We did, in the early days, they did take a line of Brahmin cattle and put some on, on clover down in New South Wales and the others on some hard country up here on the coast and, and there's a huge difference. So I think we got we got hammered because of where we came from and all the rest of it. But you can go to places like Brazil and Colombia where they're, you know, 95% Bosindigas cattle and you never eat a bad bit of steak. <laughs> so we've, we've, been, we've been done over really by the Angus breed. They've convinced the world that you need to eat a bit of Wagyu or a bit of Angus to get a good steak and we've been left behind. So what has to change to, to put that on its head? Is that is that doing more studies or is that marketing better or what has th- to happen? I think all the studies have been done and I don't know that we'll... It's really just a discounting tool now. We've been through it all and I think that the feedlots know what herds of Brahmins can do well in feedlots. Behind the scenes they will pay extra and stop the discounting but mostly the best way out not to get caught with any inferior cattle was to just put a big discount on and, and if they got good cattle out of it, that's another big profit for them. I want to talk a little bit about your move to central Queensland. So obviously your family's had a long association with Elrose over 100 years up in the Cloncurry district and I'm talking to you now on your prop, one of your properties down here near Mara. So at what point did you decide to make the move? Well, it was probably uh, a little bit of ill health and um, probably that, that pushed it most. I was the one who made the call and Lorena wasn't all that keen to move and, and, and she decided it was best later on and probably luckily we did. We're enjoying it down here now. That was probably the biggest thing. Was And, and uh, another reason was I could see uh, the tree clearing laws really impacting on the northwest because we haven't out in that part of the world we haven't had time to to do our clearing we're probably 20 30 years behind out there and and Gigi Gigi is very invasive and taking over a lot of country and I could see it happening on Elrose where where I could gallop around on my pony when I was a kid now a dog couldn't get through it you know so so that became a bigger and bigger worry to me that we weren't allowed any more scrub and what's involved when you're shifting Australia's biggest Brahmin stud from Cloncurry down here to central Queensland? The logistics and the, the trucks must have driven you mad. Yeah, it was a big job. It was a big it was a big job, and and uh, we were lucky that we had uh, s- somewhere for a lot of them to go. We had a lease of a place called Comanche, and we got other adjustment here and there, and we we're all, already had had Aunt Brigalow for a lot of years, so. Yeah, look, it, it's like anything. It's stud cattle are a bit different, so that would made it harder, you know, trucking them and keeping them together or resorting them at the other end. And this is, you know, you've always had a, a family business and you, you had Lorena and, and you've got Brooke and, and Grant involved now as well. So what does that mean to you that, that you're all working together? Oh, it's great. It's great. It really makes me makes me proud and... and uh, you know they're, they're they're getting into it. They're the, they're the next generation that have got to keep it keep it rolling. And and uh, they've uh, probably been sitting back, leaving it to me a bit over the years. But but they can't do that anymore. They've got to get in. 
I do want to talk a little bit about Beef Australia. You, you know, we alluded to that before when you um, have been involved with various organisations such as the Brahmin Breeders. But when you were going to Beef Australia, you did mention that you were part of the fir- well, one of the first people to, to show cattle or have cattle there for people to look at. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, not really. It's always been a show for show cattle that went into the pens from the first beef. But uh, we were the first ourselves and uh, Nolan Dallas Daly from Kaiwara and, and the McCamley family from Tartarus, we used to sell together. So we decided to uh, take some sale bulls to beef. So we approached beef about putting a, a tent or a hocker up. And that was the first tent or hocker that had been put up at beef. And we asked for where we could, could we first do it and then where we could be. And there was a big bit of bare ground out on one side and I just pointed out in the flat and said, yeah, go out there. So we, people had to pro- probably leave the ring and walk 50 metres over to where we were. And we put a truckload of sail bulls on and, and did a 2,500 K round trip with them and put uh, panels up and... That was probably the start of it. The next, the next beef, uh, the Australian Brahma breeders put put a tent up, and and now it's just uh, you can see what's there now. What, what what does it mean to you? You know, being involved for, for for such a long time and seeing that evolution from from you know, as you say, a bit of patch a patch of dirt out to the to, out of the show ring to the huge display that it is now. What does that mean to you? It's just great to see. I, I don't. It doesn't sort of mean a lot really except that oh, I'm, I'm glad that I've been part of it all the way through and uh, you know it's a, lo- it's a long way to come from Cloncurry and, and uh, I used to have a smile when we were always contacted you're going to come down to this sale or that sale and then when we we'd had our own on property sale they'd started driving up there and said geez it's a long way and I said, well, welcome to the real world. You're wanting us to do it all the time. <laughs> exactly, and carting cattle around is not easy, as you say, with stud yeah. cattle. What, as, a, as a seed stock producer, what, what really gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you really love about producing these really high-end animals? Well, it's bull joining time now, and yeah, that's a, that just gives you an adrenaline rush, I reckon, this time of the year, joining bulls and, and looking... At, at the right ones to put where and what you think are the right ones and what the data tells you are the right ones. So uh, I don't know if if you if you're keen enough on it, it'll it'll uh, it'll get you out of bed. Yeah. Well, and and you know, as you say, you still want them to look good as well as have that that data. Do, do you still have that sort of instinct that when the data's not quite up to scratch? But they look really good and they're standing very well in the paddock. Is there still a bit of a conflict going on oh, in your head? Probably if you put it back the other way, it doesn't matter how good the data is. If you don't like the phenotype, you're not going to use him. So that's more so, more, more the way to look at it. Is, is, uh, you've still got to like the look of it. What do you hope for the future of the Brahmin breed? Like you, you're involved in a, a few groups at the moment and, of course, for a long time in that, that data-driven and, and collecting um, solid genetic information and, and improving your herd on genetics. So what's your hope? Where, where do you want it to go? Oh, Jane, I would, I would love to see a higher percentage of the breed uh, recording um, because I just know what it could do for, for the performance of the breed. 
I know that there's good-looking cattle being bred, but sometimes the good-looking ones uh, don't do the job when you let them go on the paddock. You know, you've judged cattle all over the world. What, what's impressed you? What's your standout memories of, of that? Oh, it's, it's enjoying to get around and, and see cattle and uh, you've just got to keep marvelling at, at the uh, enthusiasm that, that people that show cattle have, that they, they want to prepare them and get them there and they love them and they put them in front of you and, and you want to give them all a ribbon but, but you have to pick the best and what you think are the best. And, and uh, so that's, that gives you a real kick just just being part of that and seeing the the people loving their cattle and, and leading them out for the crowd to see. Oh, we've look, it was interesting going uh, to other countries and and uh, seeing how they do it. You know, who does it well? Who who do you think about when you when you've seen some of these other countries and what they're doing with their with their breed? Is there something that we could do better in Australia following someone else? Well, if you're talking showing cattle and feeding cattle. Yes, the Americans are good at it, the Brazilians are good at it, but I think the best I've ever seen are the Colombians. Uh, they can feed cattle and they can present them, you know, they can feed them incredibly well. Uh, they've got a knack of whatever they put down their throats is, is spot on, you know, they don't wreck them. and they. It, it's a challenge because you're taking an animal that is meant to eat grass and putting you know, a high ration of grain down their throat to, to get them there. So it, it's a challenge to, to not change them that much in their growth and the heat from the grain. They'll still go out and, and perform. It, it's, a hard, it's a hard task. How did you do that in Cloncurry? Because, you know, you're a long way from a grain silo up there. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't feed, of course, until we started having sales and then we had to freight pellets up there. But you're right, it, it was expensive because a long way from, from where the feed was. So how did you justify that? I know we're getting a little bit you know, nitty-gritty now, but then you, know, you obviously saw the, the, the value in doing that for your, for your herd, knowing full well that some of them are going to go to places that aren't, they're not going to feed them, so there's that come down as well. So you know, how, yeah, how did you well, do when that? You had your paddock sales, but when you, when you selected a line for... Sale and look, we we had two hundred head of the one brand. It was a pretty big sing, uh, uh, single uh, brand sale. The the reality is, you, if you're going to have sales, you've got to present them, and uh, we just had to feed them and and get them right, get them presentable. You were, you know, you, I guess you've been doing a lot of media interviews over a long period of time, but um, you were. Certainly um, out and about a lot in the 2019 floods up in Cloncurry and that wouldn't have been just just before you moved down yeah, to here. Yeah. So what was, that, yeah. what was that like for you as, the, as sort of end of your tenure oh, up there and, and just seeing the, the level of devastation? It was heartbreaking yeah. to so many people, so many people that, that loved their cattle and had gone to so much trouble to breed them, to see them just dying in droves like that. Truly heartbreaking. And, and it was probably once in a 500-year thing that it would weather event that it, that would happen and uh, yeah, we'd rather all forget it now. But we got incredible support from the federal government at the time, more support than I ever thought a government would do, and uh, it did help people get back on their feet. 
What about the community? That Western Queensland community is a really special one. You, you know, I've often said that a month later you could bump into your neighbour or someone you knew from around the district in town and the last thing they brought up was the floods. Like everyone didn't uh, keep dwelling on poor bugger me, they just, they just got on with it. And, and that was amazing that, you know, they were all supportive of each, of each other but, but no one dwelt on it. They just got on with it and, and kept going and put fences back up and got on with life. Well, I think I've taken up enough of your time, but there is something that I need to ask you because we ask everybody that comes on the beef podcast this question. Um, what is your favourite cut of beef? So you, you've spoken about, you know, the, the grading qualities of the Brahmin. So I'm intrigued to know what you eat on a, on a Wednesday or a Tuesday night when, you, when you're cooking. Look, if you've got an appetite, I still love a T-bone. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you kill your own meat? Are you eating Elro's? Here? No, or, we're not. Are we now. letting you know no, trade secret? No. Should we not talk about it? <laughs> uh, many years ago, when we were went to the Northern Territory, I, I landed the job of of killing, and I used to kill three times a week. And uh, I uh, I let the cold room get very bare before I'd go and kill when I was at Elrose. Now, but <laughs> down here we 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 buy it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I'll go back to you at your overseas adventures. And I think, you know, when you said that the Colombians do showing cattle very well, by all accounts, they can cook their meat very well too. So have you had some good. Oh, look, you can travel the whole country and pull up at a roadside cafe where you're a little bit worried about what you're going to eat and you never got a tough fit of meat. They can all cook it. But they, they use big old time wooden fires and, and wind the hot plate up and down on a chain so they can put it down into the flames and back up. They've all got them. And, um, it was interesting. We The Trade Commissioner took the whole tour group that went to Columbia for the World Congress out to tea and no menu came out and no one was asked whether they liked their steak super rare or super burnt or whatever, medium. And suddenly these plates just came out and just went dropped in front of everyone and uh, they all just loved them. It, it, it was just cooked so that, you know, the rare eaters and the, and the well-done eaters all ate it and all loved it, you know, so they, they can cook meat. That's amazing. We all need a little bit of that then maybe, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Roger Jeffers, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you and um, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Been a pleasure, Jane, and uh, all the best for another successful beef. That was Roger Jeffies of the Elrose Brahmin Stud. He now operates with his two children, Brooke and Grant. Next episode, we'll hear from some of the volunteers of the Beef Australia event. Without them, it just doesn't happen. We can understand why beef breeders and industry reps keep coming back and they can claim they've been to them all. But so have Rockhampton residents Don and Alice. Talk to you soon. I'm Jane Cudahy. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.